What's up, boys and girls? What's up, world? You're listening to the Frank Cocky Podcast. And when I say hold yourself, I want all of you get ready to stop. I'm your host, Andrew Wilson. When I say stop, Welcome to the second part of episode 8 of the second series of the Frank Cocky Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Wilson, and today we're going to be continuing with our preview into the games that teams are playing in the build-up to the London 2018 World Cup. So those of you that may be picking this uh, podcast up before part one, just make sure that you're looking into either SoundCloud or on the website or uh, on iTunes, wherever you're picking this up from, just to find the first half. But... In all honesty, you can listen to either half uh, first because we talked about uh, Group A and Group B last time. We looked at the games that teams have played uh, in 2018 so far, results they had in 2017 in general terms. We chatted a bit about um, that team's prospects in their group and the games they've got coming up uh, into uh, the World Cup in the next month and a half. And we're going to keep the same format going into the second half of the podcast, now looking at Group C and Group D. Before we do get into Group C and Group D, just a couple of things that have come up on the Match Centre on the on the FIH website since we did our last, uh, the first part. Um, the Ireland's are going to be playing three nations with Germany and Canada next week. So that was something that we didn't talk about before when we were talking about Ireland. Um, and also... Um, Although it's not on the match centre, uh, I know that England played against Ireland back in March. They played three games. So not only have they played two games uh, in the week just gone, but they also played three games back in March. So that's taking England's game, uh, t- or tally of games, up to 14 uh, so far this year. Um, and then Ireland, that would take them up to 10 games, I believe. I think they played... Um, Seven, so they played four against Spain back in February, three against Scotland, and uh, then we can add on those three back in March to uh, uh, to their tally. We can also add on to our information about China, who I I can't I don't th- in my notes I didn't uh, didn't write down they played five games against Australia back in February. Uh, I'm not sure if I said it in in the first half of this uh, of this show. But uh, we can add that onto their list, and we can uh, we can also say that they've got a game against Belgium in July. I think the twelfth of July they're going to play against Belgium, so we can add that onto their total as well. Um, and so that would take them to sixteen games played so far in two thousand and eighteen, and five games coming up. And of course, they're. Uh, oppositions in those games, Australia and Belgium will be coming up when we look at Group D uh, a bit later on. So, getting straight into Group C. This is a group with Germany, Argentina, Spain and South Africa in it. group close to my heart because obviously this is our group for the World Cup. This is Spain's group and a group that obviously I will know more about uh, to a certain extent uh, because of how the teams play. I would have been watching their games and also um, because I would have been paying closer attention to team lists 
just to get more of an idea of which teams may be selected. Of course, we now know that Argentina has selected their team, South Africa has selected their team, Spain, we are still yet to select our team. We uh, start our first camp tomorrow, and Germany, having just finished their final four today, would not have made their selection uh, clear either. Talking about Germany, we're going to start off with them. Now, so far uh, this year, they've had a brilliant indoor season. Um, they won the Euros, they won the World Cup and although that um, doesn't always translate over to to outdoor hockey it does show that uh, a lot of their players, uh, their outfield players were playing in that team they've had top international competition this year even though uh, most people would class indoor as a completely different sport to outdoor but nevertheless they've done it they've won a World Cup already this year and we can also see that uh, UHC, Ulan Horster, um, got to the final of the Women's Club uh, Championships here in Europe this year. And a lot of the, the German national team are playing with that squad there. So again, lots of their players making finals, getting to medal positions. It's a team that know how to compete at the top, uh, at the, the business end of competitions. And of course, in general... Over the last couple of years, they've been very dependable in competitions. Um, you look at their, their European Cup results and their Olympic results when uh, Jamie was with them. They were consistently playing up in semi-finals and competing very well. Now, la last year's European competition, uh, Jamie's last competition with the German uh, team before he moved over to China, was another example where they were playing semi-finals. But perhaps they weren't showing, they weren't demonstrating such a dominating style of play, such control as they had done in previous competitions. Now, I have no idea what that was down to. Maybe that's just my perspective. Um, but nevertheless, when they played against Belgium in the semi-finals, I thought Belgium played very well against them. When they played against England in the third, fourth place playoff, I think England deserved to win. I think Germany uh, perhaps didn't show up for that competition. Now, could that be because they were um, just about to change coaches? Maybe uh, things weren't gelling so well in that competition? We'll never know. And to be honest, I don't think that will matter, given that we've seen... Uh, They've they've won the European Indoor, they've won the World Cup uh, Indoor, they've got players playing in European Club Championship Finals. They've got the quality raw material there. And I'm sure that Chabier, uh, Chabier Rekina, who's now the head coach and the new staff that he's brought in, will have been developing these girls over the last six, seven months to really get them prepared for this. And I've no doubt that they're going to be a, a really tough team to play against. So as we know, the German Final Four was this weekend. Those of you who watched it online, good job. Those of you who know of any of any international hockey or um, or any club hockey being streamed live, get it on Twitter, get it on Instagram with the hashtag #LivestreamHockey. Now, there's some benefits to having your Final Four so late into the year, and that's that you you have your players competing and keeping that game rhythm closer to the international competition. However, that can also be detrimental because it's eating into that preparation time as a team. Now, as we spoke about back in episode seven, one of the mistakes that international teams make 
Well, one, no, mistakes is not the right word. One of the things that they can suffer from is the fact that verbal and non-verbal communication links between players and staff and between and between players themselves aren't so well developed as they are at club level. So a lot of mistakes are made because of miscommunications. Now, the longer you can get as a team working together, the better those communication links are going to be between you. And... Mm, hopefully fewer mistakes will be made. Now, if we're looking at that as a potential uh, KPI, key performance indicator, I think that's what uh, what people say. Um, it's, it's not something that's used here in Spain, uh, that's why, why I'm doubting. Um, it would be interesting to see, as we're looking at in these, uh, in these two parts of this podcast, how many games teams are playing beforehand and how much uh, contact time they have with each other of course we don't know the actual contact time that they have but we can see how many games they've played during the year and how many games are coming up and maybe that might be an indicator of uh, a slightly better preparation but it's a might we know that hockey is a multifactorial complex sport and the results um, can depend on 100,000 other things at the same time now Germany uh, last year in outdoor uh, finished second in their round three. Uh, they lost on shootouts to the States. After, as I said back in part one, I think Germany probably had more opportunities to win that game. They were 1-0 up until the last maybe minute, two minutes when there was a stroke given against them. Um, but they played very well in that competition. Then, of course, as we mentioned earlier, fourth in Europeans sixth in the round four but of course we we know the round four is a testing ground for for lots of players um and and then we move into 2018 and so far according to the match center they've only played two games this year um and they were when they came out to spain 2-2 draw and a uh, 2-1 win against spain and i would i would guess they probably have played one or two other games, but they're not uh, not on the official match centre. Now coming up, they've got three nations with Ireland, Canada, Ireland and Canada next week. Then straight after that, they've got that one game, that one test game against Ireland, and then they'll play Italy twice in two weeks' time, and then there's three nations. Uh, I think in, yeah, in July against Argentina, New Zealand, and Holland. So they've got nine games coming up. It's a decent chunk of preparation, and given that their final four is finishing this weekend, and they're going straight into a three nations, their preparation is quite based around games, as we can see, um, rather than just training blocks and. Uh, maybe a lack of 11v11 tra- uh, uh, preparation. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how they come into this competition. And I, I genuinely think they've got a good chance of making the quarterfinals and going on further than that if they can find their form as a group and get back to uh, get that solidarity that they had in the competitions before the before the Euros last year. Second on the list is Argentina, one of the crowd favourites for the competition every time uh, Every time there's a World Cup, every time there's Olympics. Now, of course, 
Um, they've maybe not had the rub of the green in lots of international competitions, uh, in especially in the last Olympic cycle. Um, but then with a change of staff, they brought in the Junior World Cup winner from 2016, Agus Corradini, and a lot of those under-21 girls had moved up with him and he's been blooding them in. They played 16 games so far this year. But we'll get on to that in a minute. We'll look at their 2017 results. They played they played the round three and they finished fourth, losing out to England in that third, fourth uh, playoff. And um, that was, I believe, the first competition that where Agus had taken over the squad. And it was, well... Um, a disjointed competition for them, I think. From the footage that I've seen, perhaps they they would have been disappointed, as anyone would be, to not be winning medals. But given that his, uh, it's the first competition with a new staff, uh, getting new players involved, I think they were probably more focused on just World Cup qualification and then to start building up the squad to actually uh, come here and win the World Cup this summer. Because, of course, when you go to the round four... They finished fifth. Again, mm, disappointing, maybe, but if you look realistically, it, we know that the round four is where squads perhaps are trying things out and you'd want to be finishing higher, but I think they, they would have been happy to give lots of people experience of an international competition. And of course, they then went on to the Pan Ams, oh, sorry, the Pan Ams were before that, and they won those, uh, beating Chile in the final. Now this year, as I said, they played loads of games. Six against Belgium, five against Great Britain, and five against New Zealand. So we go series by series. Against Belgium, they won the first game, 5-2. They drew the second game, 3-0. They won the third game, 6-2. They drew the fourth game, 2-2. They drew the fifth game, 2-2. And they won the final game, 3-0. Now, when they won, they won big. And the rest of the games seemed pretty tight. So they were winning by at least three goal margin when they did win. But then you've got three draws in there. Uh, and I think that's probably because of squad rotation. I believe the, I think, uh, the Belgian number one keeper was, was injured um, in, that, in that series. But also the style of hockey that Belgium play, and we'll come on to that later, makes it very difficult to, to break down. But if you have if you're effective in attack, which Argentina tend to be pretty effective in circle, you're gonna get goals. And I think that was a similar case against GB in the second series. So they played five games. They won two one, they won three one, they won five two, they lost four two and they won one nil. Again, I also would have been rotating the squad, bringing new players in uh, exactly the same as, Eng- uh, as GB did. There are lots of players, as we mentioned in the first part of this show, got their debut in that in that test series. Um, and although it was a 4-1 win overall in the games, so four wins for Argentina, one win for, uh, for GB, there were definite signs of Aus's way of playing which is very similar to the typical Argentine way of playing. Very intense, lots of actions per minute, lots of participation from everyone. Um, perhaps maybe 
quite basic uh, build up or construction phases but when you get into that transition phase getting those vertical uh, that vertical play out the pitch they can be really really tough so it's uh, and then you're looking at it when they win balls on turnovers they can be deadly and then we move on to the test series against New Zealand so they played five games they won 4-0 they won 3-1 they lost 3 uh, 3-2 they won 5-0 and they won 2-1 so again similar similar to the other uh, the other series couple of losses quite uh, more wins uh, in the end and just showing the quality that they have and i think probably what else will be looking for in the preparation that they've been doing without games and now coming over to Europe playing uh, playing a couple of games which we'll get onto a second we were looking for that consistency looking to bring over a team that will work together every second of the game knowing that they're going to get goal scoring opportunities and just knowing that they've got to take them and they've just got to keep working hard throughout the entire competition because I mean, we all know Argentina have that energy about them they, it's their uh, one of their, their special uh, special powers, as it were, as a team, the the energy, the emotion that they bring to a, a tournament and to games, and Agus is a specialist at getting the best out of his teams, and especially finding a balance between the heart and the head. Now, coming up for Argentina, they've got according to the match centre, they got just. Three nations with Germany, New Zealand, and Holland. Um, I would guess that they probably have a warm up game when they actually get to the, the pitch in London. They'll uh, try and uh, get something against someone. Um, and uh, maybe they'll get a sneaky sneaky game in somewhere which is unofficial because I mean, three games seems quite uh, uh, limited considering they haven't played since uh, since the New Zealand Test Series. So we'll see how they how they actually get into that first game. Hopefully, fingers crossed, because it's against Spain, mm, they'll be a bit sleepy, but I doubt it. So now we're moving on to South Africa, third on my list for this group, who last year played their Continental Championship, which they won, as would be expected of them. Although Ghana, uh, uh, they're improving all the time and getting closer and closer every two years. And then they played the round three, on their home turf and finish fifth but in that round three I mean that's direct qualification for the World Cup so there's no problem for example back in, back in 2016 the problem was uh, with their no qualification for the for the Olympics was that their uh, their Olympic governing body didn't recognise the African uh, Continental Championship as a way of qualifying for the Olympic Games and they could only have qualified via the World League which they didn't do uh, because they uh, well, we Spain beat them in the uh, in the round yeah in the, in the round three we beat them so in, in the round three that South Africa played last year they as I say they finished fifth and they had a couple of decent results in there they well, the final result in itself is really good because that's direct qualification for the World Cup. Along the way, they beat the USA, they beat Japan. I think it was a one, just a one nil loss to Germany, who were uh, so you're talking they beat the eventual winners. They just lost out one nil to second place. They lost to Argentina. 
maybe a shock result. They lost to Chile. They drew with India, and then they beat Ireland uh, in that final game, that fifth, sixth playoff place. Now, some really interesting results there, um, showing they have quality, they have fight, they have spirit to take it to the to the big leagues. Um, they also managed to to finish out the competition with a decent win as well. So um, it would be interesting to see how they come into into this World Cup. Now, so far this year, they played the Commonwealth Games, and as far as I'm aware, um, I haven't seen anything else on the match centre. Now, uh, perhaps the Commonwealths were were a disappointing result because, of course, in the final game, they lost out to Canada 3-1, and that put them in sixth place. Now, during the competition as well, perhaps they uh, might not have been too too happy with the with the with the results they had. They they lost to England two nil. They drew Malaysia one all. They then beat Wales two nil. They lost out to India only one nil, which is um, showing their com- uh, how they can compete. And then they lost out to Canada. So perhaps they would probably chalk that up as a disappointing Commonwealth Games for them. However, not being in their in their team, not being around them, I, I have no idea. I'm just looking from from an out uh, from an outside perspective. And then coming up from now until the World Cup on the match centre, they've got no games. Another side without any games, um, which is um, surprising. I guess they may fit one in, uh, try and fit one in on the pitch at the at the World Cup um, itself, just before the competition starts. But um, as far as we're aware, there are no official test games against other nations. Now, everything points uh, with the results that we're seeing, the, the type of preparation or the, the number of games being, uh, being used to prepare the sides, previous results and well, the ranking, everything will point that South Africa may not make it through to the next phase of the competition after the groups. But you never know. Uh, it's going to be... It's going to be really tough to play against them because they they definitely have a physical presence about them and they're going to make life difficult for oppositions. And I think if they can decide on a way of playing which utilises those aspects of their game, they could be they could make life difficult for the other three teams in that group. And the final team in Group C is Spain. So Spain, last year um, we played the round two in Valencia, which we won. We played the round three in Belgium, where we finished sixth. We finished fifth at the Euros. Now, um, results-wise, we're happy to win an international competition. We haven't done that in a long time. Very happy to qualify for the World Cup because we haven't participated in the World Cup since 2010 where we finished where Spain that team at that time finished last and we're looking forward to being able to to show uh, to try ourselves out show what we can do and try and win the competition now a sixth place finish and a fifth place fifth place finish last year in the round 3 and the Euros was results wise disappointing um, because we think we, we play well enough to, to be able to get further up, but you finish where you finish at the end of the day. And we also took the opportunity to, as we had three competitions, to mix up our squads. We rested some senior players, we um, 
and we gave younger players more chances to play a full competition so that coming into the World Cup we now have the option to take young players uh, when we move in when we uh, possibly have retirements uh, in the future players are going to have more experience they're going to have uh, more test matches under their belt so the transition will be a lot more fluid now so far this year we've played 15 games so five against Australia four against Ireland two against Germany and four against China and uh, there have been a lot of draws a lot so against Australia we drew one all we drew one all we lost three two we drew nil nil and we drew two two so and that last game isn't on the match centre it was supposed to be but there was uh, I believe it's the second game of the of the series got washed out there was a, a cyclone a couple of uh, thousand kilometres north of Perth and that brought all the rains down to us and we just it rained 24 hours solid and it was impossible to play so we moved that game to the end of the series and we uh, we drew it to all um, against Ireland there's a 7-0 win a 2-0 loss a 3-1 win and a 3-2 loss um, and then we're going to the games against Germany and China so against Germany there were two games it's a 2 all draw 1-0 uh, sorry 2-1 uh, loss and against China another three draws you've got three all draw 0-0 draw 1-0 draw and a 3-1 win um, so very happy to finish that phase of our preparation with a win of course looking for the positives but there are lots of draws in there that we need to be uh, looking to uh, convert into W's um, which undoubtedly will do because we'll have uh, uh, everyone focused on the competition itself instead of being halfway through the year thinking about leagues, thinking about X, Y, Z. And it's going to be an exciting time coming up because we've got another 15 games coming up uh, between now and the World Cup. So we've got five against India next week. We'll then go and play two against England. So we'll go straight from Madrid to, uh, to London. We'll have a couple of days off. And we've got four nations against China, Japan and Holland in Holland. And then we've got Canada coming over in July. And we'll play three games against them. And then when we get to the to the venue itself in July, we'll have a warm-up game against the USA. So in total, we play 30 games as a side this year, um, which is actually looking at the totals for all the teams uh, and the games that we know of that they played in 2018 that's 10 sorry 9 more than than the closest uh, team in the second place at the moment because Ireland have got 21 but we don't know how many games they're going to play against Japan so they could uh, get a few more under their belts there um, but we'll come on to those those, those numbers at the end um, now given that uh Spain didn't qualify for the last World Cup. It made it difficult to get into uh, get a team together and get working well for the um, for the Olympics. And we went through that process. And when we went to the Olympics, we were the bottom ranked team, and we finished eighth. And it's the first time that the bottom ranked side in Olympic Games hasn't finished dead last. And I think with the with the games that we played over the last four or five years. 
especially in this phase uh, in early 2018, we're really getting into our stride. And the, given that our first game is against Argentina, I would suspect that we're going to see a very high-intensity game uh, from both teams. Uh, and if, in actual fact, I think the group that we've got is, if we look at uh, style-wise, it's, it's a very interesting group uh, because you've got uh, South American side, you've got uh, and you you've got an African side, and you've got two European sides who play uh, quite different styles of, of hockey. Um, well, as we know at the moment, so it'll be interesting to see how that group ends up. So we move on to, to Group D, and possibly the well for me, the the most um, level group in terms of standard that there is in this competition. Um, you've got Australia, you've got New Zealand, you've got Belgium, and you've got Japan. Now, perhaps on current uh, results, you're looking at 2018 into 2017, say that, or in 2000, summer 2017, you say that Japan are perhaps uh, bottom of the pile there, but they're preparing a, for a World Cup, uh, uh, home Olympic Games, and they've been chopping and changing their squads quite a bit, which we'll get onto in a minute. Uh, and they've got some very, very talented players playing in Europe, getting experience. They, they're going to be a tough side to beat. But then you've got the European uh, silver medalists, and you've got Australia, and you've got New Zealand. And you don't need to say much more than that. Um, now, we're going to go and have a look at Australia's preparation. Now, if we look back to 2017, they finished fifth in the round three, which was perhaps a reflection of an inconsistent tournament for them. Um, and uh, I think possibly from an outside perspective because they, they lost players after the Olympics, they changed their staff and were just trying to find their feet. Um, and you can see that Paul, uh, Paul Willoyne and um, his staff uh, are really developing a young group of players thinking of future success, but probably will be able to get current success this year with them. Um, now, they have changed their assistant coaches quite a bit uh, since the Olympic Games. So um, maybe that's a plan of the Australian Association to uh, to keep refreshing ideas. Uh, maybe not. Maybe maybe they have internal problems. We don't know. Just you, you see the articles and they've changed their assistant coaches. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they turn up this competition, especially because... I mean, so far they've played 21 games this year in 2018, but um, they've they've got nothing coming up officially, according to the match centre. So, I mean, if we look so far, they played uh, they played Spain in five games, China in five games. They played six games at the Commonwealth Games, and then they've just played a Tri Nation series where they actually played five games uh, in that. So 21 games so far is a is a big chunk of games, and perhaps uh, perhaps budget reasons mean they can't come over early to Europe, so they can't find games. Um, perhaps when perhaps they'll come and they'll they'll um, they'll pop over to a different country before they go to England and get some unofficial games. I would suspect they probably would, 
because not playing any games right before a World Cup um, is quite a quite a risk, I think. Now, if we look at their most recent results, uh, we go to the Commonwealth Games. They they beat Canada one nil. They beat Ghana five nil. They drew New Zealand nil nil. They beat Scotland two nil. They beat India one nil in the semi final, and then they lost four one to Australia uh, to New Zealand in the final. Now, you look at the the team list for that competition. It's obviously uh, they. Uh, they left people at home. They took uh, for whatever the reason may be, but players that were quite established in the side, and um, I think that is definitely reflected in here. And, uh, and we know that um, their the results against, for example, the results against Canada was a one 0 win. You perhaps expect them to to win by a greater margin in that game. Not taking anything away from Canada, but you look at the the, the world rankings. You look at the results and the the way that teams. Uh, prepare themselves you'd expect maybe a bit more there um, but the you look at their, their semi-final their 1-0 against India now I haven't seen that game but from all the reports India were fantastic in in that game um, and perhaps 1-0 was quite a, uh, a just result quite a fair result um, then a 4-0 loss in the final to, to New Zealand now New Zealand's uh, for me, were the team that, of all the teams, they took their strongest squad there. I think the other, uh, I think uh, England and Australia and South Africa mm, took uh, players that uh, to give them experience of an international competition, um, and perhaps that was a, a fair result. But I can't, can't really come because I haven't seen the game. And you go on to their their Tri Nations. And we just said they lost 4-1 to New Zealand in the final. The first game of the Tri-Nations, they beat New Zealand 4-1. They then beat Japan 4-1. They then beat New Zealand again 3-0. They then lost to Japan 1-0. And they beat New Zealand 4-1 again. Now, when I see the results for for Australia, it just it automatically reminds me of the guys at the reverse stick and their comments that in a 3-0 in international hockey... May not actually be a walkover, in or a four-one may not mean that a team has dominated. It just means that they've just been slightly more effective in the circles, and that's the difference between uh, just a slightly more effective pitching at both ends of the pitch, and that could be three goals difference in a game. So, I would take these results with a pinch of salt. Yes, they've won by three goals in lots of games. They've also lot. Uh, they've also lost by three goals in a couple of games as well. So I I think they'll be very competitive when it comes to, to the World Cup. Mm, I would suspect they have games uh, which aren't on the match centre. Uh, they got uh, programmed in. But I mean, they'll be definite favourites uh, to, to probably take a medal in this competition. Now, uh, New Zealand have had a fantastic 12 months. Fantastic. Now, New Zealand were, and this is speaking to their uh, to people close to the team, serial um, chokers, as it were. If you look at the last two Olympic Games, uh, making um, making it through the group stages, getting through to the medal uh, rounds, and and losing out on shootouts. Um, now. They've, I believe, I don't know how many years Mark Harbour has been in with the team, 
it's it's a long long time now it's, you're talking Danny Kenny periods of uh Danny Kenny Danny Kerry uh period of time there and you could see from the moment he took over he made an incredibly tough unit of players really really competitive and it was really nice to watch them play and it still is um and I'm very happy especially for him also for the the girls and the members of staff who have been with them over all the period, they're finally seeing uh, finally seeing results from it. I mean, they finished uh, third in the round three last year, and uh, I mean they just lost out to Holland on shootouts in the semi final. Now you're taking Holland, who didn't lose a game last year, to shootouts, and there were some video umpire decisions in there which I mean, supposed to take out all the doubts, but there was one decision which, uh, if you perhaps look at the rules where you, how many decimal points or decimal places you're supposed to have on the clock, there may be reason to, to doubt they could they could have got through to, to the final there and beaten, beaten Holland. Now, they then finished second at the Continental Championships, uh, losing out to, to Australia. Uh, apologies, we didn't, uh, didn't mention that to... Uh, in when we talked about Australia, they, Australia beat them twice. New Zealand lost to Australia twice, and then in the round four they finished second. Now that's 2017, uh, and you have to say that it's a fantastic result given that um, they had some key players not playing for them in those games. Um, Anita McCarran wasn't playing for them um, uh, over the summer. Uh, you had Gemma Flynn who had stepped away from the team, a couple of other players who had stepped away, and I mean, State uh, Mickelson, the way that she stepped up and the way she just bosses that team and bosses opposition when she's playing is amazing. It's, and I really hope that she can she can reproduce that when she gets into the World Cup this year. Now, looking at their games in two thousand eighteen. And they've played five games against uh, the States, I believe. No, five games against no against Argentina. Five games against Argentina. Uh, we spoke about them earlier on. There was a four 0 loss, a three one loss, a three two win, a five 0 loss, and a two one win. Um, read into it, read into it what you want. I mean. <laughs> We have no idea what what squad. Well, we can look at what squads were taken, but we have no idea what training phases they they were in. And, and as we mentioned, Argentina are very attacking. Very if they're very and can be very effective at times. Who knows what phase of training New Zealand are in? But I don't think that will be the case if they were to play each other in the World Cup. Those results wouldn't be so in favour of Argentina. I don't think. Going to the Commonwealth Games, they won. And uh, so it's another medal for them in two years. Um, and they won another shootout. So they beat Scotland 6-1. They beat Ghana 12-0. 0-0 versus Canada. 0-0 versus Australia. 0-0 against England. But then they won the shootout against England 2-1. And they beat Australia 4-1 in the final. So you're looking at some comprehensive results against lower-ranked teams... Uh, perhaps a um, uh, well I'm going to say surprising results against Canada 
but I mean, we spoke about Canada only lost 1-0 to Australia so maybe it's not that surprising uh, and then you've got you 0-0 against Australia 0-0 against England which would say okay that can happen uh, but they find they, they got their shootout win uh, which they've been missing out on for the last few years um, and again they won another shootout in the Tri-Nations so that they played Japan so they what they lost 2-1 to Japan they lost 4-1 to Australia they then beat Japan 4-1 they then beat Australia 3-0 uh, they drew 3-0 with Japan and then beat them 2-0 on the shootout and they lost 4-1 to to Australia now uh, I believe I just said they beat Australia 3-0 but I think I said earlier that Australia beat them 3-0 uh, I'll have to well I can't remember what, exactly what that result was I've written it down wrong oh well um, now they've got three games coming up uh, in the four nations against Holland Germany and Argentina uh, probably again budget restraints means that they can't come over sooner but I'm sure they'll probably slide in another game when they're here as well uh, behind closed doors now we get to Belgium who have have had an up and down uh, few years really they they made it to the 2012 Olympics and then they made it to the World Cup, but then didn't qualify for the last Olympics. And um, one, and after not qualifying for the for for the Rio, they had a change of uh, staff. They were really, uh, really playing very badly, I have to say. Um, and we played against them a few times, and they they were quite slow. They was and um, they just weren't very effective and it wasn't uh wasn't nice to see a side who had previously played in the Olympics and a World Cup uh fall so sharply. But then with the change of staff, then came another quick change of staff after um the head coach they put in moved on. And the the way that they've come together as a team over the last year and a half is unbelievable. And they've really set out their stall about how they want to play hockey, which is in generally in general it's half court counter attacking we're going to defend our circle and we'll we'll get a corner or we'll we'll uh, hit a backhand in and um i think uh i believe their first competition after rio was the was the round three and they finished eighth and Everyone thought, well, it's a normal result, uh, and also because of the way they were playing, they don't, don't really attack too much, uh, like as other teams would. They don't really build up very well. They're quite happy just to let the opposition have the ball, and then counter attack, which is a completely valid way of playing. And they've since had success with it. But finishing eighth in the round three, on their home turf, was, I think. If you looked at it, you think that's a normal result. But I think they would have been disappointed with it. Then, a month and a half later, you go to the Europeans in in Amsterdam, and they're playing exactly the same style of hockey. They hadn't changed anything, and they've finished up uh, in second place. And they played a really good semi final, uh, as in they actually I think they went and attacked Germany in the semi final, and in the final. Uh, 
a fantastic defensive presence, sitting back, soaking up the, the, the Dutch attacks, very calm, very solid, everyone working together, taking their opportunities. And they lost out, and that's a, that's a risk that they take playing this style of hockey, is that if they're not effective in attack, then they're not going to score goals because they don't create as many opportun- as many circle entries as other teams. But also, if you have a team that's effective against you, you're gonna they're going to have a tough time of it, which is, I think, possibly what's happened, uh, for example, in the games against Argentina they played earlier on this year. They played six games. They lost 5-2. They drew 3 all. They lost 6-2. They drew 2-2. They drew 2-2 again, and they lost 3-0. Of course, we know uh, one of their goalkeepers was injured uh, during that camp. Um, And and actually, the system they play, play, each keeper plays uh, two quarters total in a game. Um, So they they had an experienced goalkeeper in their ranks to take over. Um, But I think those results, I mean, also we don't know, as we mentioned with with New Zealand, we don't know the training uh, regime that they were in at that point. But um, you would think with the way that the two teams play that um, Argentina would be creating quite a few opportunities and probably be getting frustrated against that Belgian defence. But maybe sometimes they're going to get that bit of uh, effectiveness. Maybe Belgium don't get as many opportunities. It's... It's a risky risky style of playing, but we are seeing more and more teams who are having success with that. You look at the Spanish Final Four, uh, Real Sociedad, team that predominantly defends and then counter-attacks. The Argentine men in Rio, the Belgian women in uh, in the Europeans last year. And I'm sure, we could, uh, I'm sure you could uh, give us many more examples, listeners out there. And they're up, uh, sorry, they also played two games against China. Uh, earlier on this year, they beat them three-two and, they, and two-one in those two games, and they got four games coming up: uh, three against Chile in three weeks' time, uh, which is uh, which will be good opposition. Chile, who finished second in the in the Pan Ams last year, uh, Chile, who are, who got a couple of decent uh, results in the World League Round Three, but that'll be good preparation for them. Then play a game against China, and that's it. Four games. That's all that's on the match centre. But I'm sure they'll definitely have something else in there. Um, they're gonna. They. I think Belgium could easily not pass onto the quarterfinals or the or the crossover games. But if they play to the same style they did in the Euros and the same standard they did in their semi-final and their final and so in their group game as well against Spain. They defended pretty well, um, but I mean, in the day, it was a two-one win to Belgium. But Spain scored all three goals, so there were two own goals in there. So if you're talking about small details, as we spoke about in the Australia-New Zealand situation. You're talking about small details that possibly could send results one way or the other. I mean, if they play to those same standards and uh, and things go their way, they could get into those quarters, and they could and they could cause. Uh, what would, according to the world rankings, be a surprise? Um, but in those of us in the know, uh, you out there, and us, and the, those of us who are going to be playing the competition, know that in, it's not really such a surprise at the end of the day when you see the results and you think about it. And the final team, 
on our list of 16 for this World Cup. And fourth in Group D is Japan. Now, Japan, um, I think uh, when they played the Olympics, I liked how they played. Uh, I thought they perhaps lacked a bit of uh, firepower up front uh, to put a couple more goals away. But I liked uh, I liked the way they played, the, the solid structure, the way they moved the ball around. Um, for me, it's, of all the Asian teams, it's the more European style of hockey Asian team. Um, and since since the Olympics, uh, they had a change of coach. Um, and I think there's a definite focus on their home Olympic Games in 2020 with their preparation. I mean, they, uh, in the round three last year, they finished sixth, which for me was a surprise after how they played it at the Olympics. Um, uh, then they finished fourth at the Asia Cup. But then prior to that, that in 2000, and, uh, it's the end of 2016, they, they won the Asian Champions Trophy. Um, which for me was, I thought that was a normal result because of how the how teams had performed at the at the Olympics. But um, I think you can you can tell that they have players playing away in Europe, and often for competitions they won't select them um, uh, if the competition's full during the European League season. For example, but the round three didn't. The round three was in the summer. They could take their strongest teams. The World Cup qualification is very important. And in the end, they they got in because they finished sixth, um, and but not because they finished uh, continental champions. That was that was India uh, in the end. Now at the Asian Champions Trophy, uh, they played four games this year. They lost to India four one. They drew Korea one all. They lost to Malaysia three two, and they lost to China two um, 0 So they didn't actually win a game in that competition. But I think it's key to point out as the guys at the reverse stick to a couple of weeks ago. Japan split their teams between the Champions Trophy and the Tri Nations that was uh, that they played with Australia and New Zealand, because the the finals day of the of the Champions Trophy coincided with the first day of the Tri Nations, and I, I and I think there was just one one day's difference between uh, Japan playing one game and Japan playing another game, and. You look at the list, and I think they probably took a stronger squad to the to the Tri Nations. Um, I believe the coach uh, and the staff were at both competitions, although I'm not too sure about that. So I think on the match centre it says they were the same staff members there. Um, but of course, I think taking a, a, a less experienced, probably a weaker squad to the Champions Trophy is definitely reflected in their results there. Um, but in the Tri Nations, you see that they. Um, uh, they beat New Zealand 2-1 they then lost to Australia 4-1 they lost New Zealand 4-1 they then beat Australia 1-0 and then they drew 3-0 with New Zealand but then lost shootout in the shootout 2-0 so again some mixed results in that Tri-Nations but definitely showing they took the stronger squad to that competition and it will be interesting to see when they get the two teams together or the, or the big group together they make that final selection how they're going to compete um, against Australian teams? I think they're going to have um, they're going to be more comfortable playing against Australia and New Zealand than they will be against Belgium, because the majority of their opposition so far have been Asian or uh, Australian New Zealand, and they haven't played against the European side 
since the round three last year. Um, so it will be interesting to see. I mean, they do have that four nations against Holland, Spain and China coming up. And they are going to play at least one game against Ireland. So they will get some European opposition in there to help them prepare for that, especially for that Belgium game. But you're looking at three sides who don't... Well, in Belgium play completely differently to, all the, to the majority of the other European sides. Uh, so um, what I mean, they'll try and get as much benefit as they can out of it, but it would be... I think it would definitely be shown they'd be more comfortable playing against an Australia and New Zealand than they will be playing against Belgium. So we come on to my predictions for for both groups. We we'll start with Group C. Now um, you're looking at. I mean, I think. I think uh, the teams that will go through will be Argentina and Spain. I know that um, I'm full of bias there because <laughs> being an assistant coach of the Spanish ladies. However, those of you who know me, I'm very objective with how I uh, look at things and I genuinely think that we will beat South Africa, we'll beat Germany and I think we, we, are, we are capable of beating Argentina as well. And I'm really throwing myself out there, but you've got to be brave in this world. And uh, if I weren't, if I didn't think we were going to win, then why am I going? Why am I in this job? I genuinely think we're going to pass through to the quarterfinals uh, ahead of Germany. Now, whether we go through as head of uh, top of the group or second in the group, have to play a crossover. I think that um, that will be that's less easy to to predict. Uh, I think, but I think we'll we'll definitely be passing through. And I think we'll win our crossover game as well, uh, either against Australia, New Zealand, Belgium or Japan. Um, so we're looking at the individual games. You look at, you've got first game up uh, and that um, it's first game of competition. You've got Germany against South Africa. Um, you look at the type of preparation that the two sides have got and and the, the past of the two teams. I think you've got to say it's a German win there. Um, but first game of competition in Germany with less preparation time together, South Africa, perhaps more, you never know how much they've got, uh, but they haven't, don't seem to be having, don't seem to have any games coming up. I think Germany will take that. Uh, and then the next game, you're looking at Argentina, Spain. Uh, Spain are going to win, of course. I mean, why else am I in the team? If not to say that Spain are going to win. Um and, but in all seriousness, I think that uh, you've got two sides. It's very interesting when they get together. You've got uh, two Latin-blooded teams playing against each other. Um, and the intensity will be very high in that. And I think uh, Spain will I think we'll just take it. Uh, if not, it'll be a draw in that game. Um then you're going on. You got Germany, Argentina, which I think Argentina will take that game. Uh, Spain against South Africa, Spain will win that. Um, and then you got Spain, Germany, which I think again uh, will will beat the Germans in that game. There, I think um, 
I just get the feeling that we're we're slightly in a better place at the moment than than the Germans. And you got Argentina, South Africa, and I think Argentina will definitely take that uh, take that game at the end of the group. Now, looking at Group D, it's, it's difficult to predict, I and mean, I'm probably just going to have to read out the list of games. Uh, but you got Australia, Japan, uh, both teams having beaten and lost against one another. Then you got New Zealand, Belgium. Then you got then you got Japan, New Zealand. Then you got Australia, Belgium. I mean, Whichever way you look, whichever game you put, you pit with whoever you pit against whoever in that group. It's uh, I honestly cannot tell you who's going to win that group and who's uh, where people are going to finish. Um, but whatever's the case, one of a either a continental champion or a continental silver medalist is going home uh, in the group stages. And that is why that group is so tough. So um, now that uh, we've come to the end of this, uh, the way that I've been looking at this is uh, the preparation of uh, the teams and how many games they've been playing in 2018 and how many games they, cu- they got coming up for the World Cup. And I thought it was interesting just to take a look at the, the final numbers, just, uh, just out of interest to see how many official games teams will have played before the World Cup this year. So at the at the top of the list, you got Spain, who would have played thirty games in two thousand and eighteen as a team, and then coming up second, you've got Ireland, because they have a minimum of twenty one uh, with that game against Japan and possibly uh, possibly twenty two. Then you got Australia, who have played would have played twenty one. Then you got China and New Zealand on twenty. And then you've got England on 18, you've got Japan on Japan on 14, then you've got uh, Holland and the USA on, on 12, oh, and Belgium as well, also on 12, coming up, uh, so they've got, they're in 7th. In 8th in you've got Germany with 11 games. And then ninth, you've got Korea, who are with eight games, 10th, and 10th Italy with seven games. Now, I mean, who knows how much of an effect that will have on the final results in the competition. What is certain in this sport is more doesn't equal better, doesn't always equal better, and one doesn't always equal two. So, although... You're looking at this idea that uh, a team that plays together more will have better communication amongst themselves. Well, that the time they spent together has to be quality time they spent together. And Spain, who have played 30 games together, um, does that mean that they're going to beat uh, Germany, who have played 11 games, or they're going to beat Holland, who have played 12 games? Just on that fact, that's not the case. So we can't take just one fact as saying this is what will happen in the results in the World Cup. Anything could happen, and the final result isn't in the hands of the teams alone. In the crowd, the weather, the umpires, the um, uh, there are so many external factors which could uh, affect the results at the end of the game. Mm, really, you've got to be looking at far more than this just to just to predict the World Cup. I just thought it was just an interesting fact. To, to share with people because often in the press you just hear 
Uh, you don't hear about the actual details about how many games teams have played, how much contact time they've had. And unfortunately, I mean, I could tell you about the contact time that Spain have had together, but I couldn't tell you about everyone else. So it's just one fact and figure that I can get for every team. And as I mentioned all throughout, there would definitely be games that aren't on the match centre that teams are playing. And I'm sure when I've, when I've been speaking about your country, you were thinking, oh, no, I know they've been playing this game. I know they're going to be doing this. Uh, so just take it with a pinch of salt. I hope that this guide, or well, a very brief guide, different to what you would probably uh, receive um, for information about the World Cup. hope it's been interesting. Um, it's just a, a light look through all the different teams that will be competing. Um, and... I hope that you're as excited as I am to be able to watch uh, hopefully uh, come along to the games that are being played at the World Cup. So it starts on the 21st of July and it will go through to the 5th of August. If you can get over to London, uh, I'm sure there will still be tickets available for, for some of the days. Uh, although, as I say, as I said in the first part of this, this episode, England Hockey do a fantastic job of selling out their, their venues and it will be definitely an event worth worth getting to and something that you'll be able to talk about for years and years I know that I went to the, the World Cup in 2010 in Argentina I wasn't with the team um, I, I'd only been in Spain for two well, maybe a year and a half at that point two years and I decided to go along just because I wanted to get involved with international hockey and one of the first things I was told about if you want to improve your coaching is watch international hockey International hockey is completely different to, to club hockey. There is no difference. What uh, sorry, there is no similarity whatsoever in between the standards. Uh, and we're talking about women's hockey here because I don't know too much about. Uh, I don't know so much about men's hockey. Now, the club standard women's hockey is far below international, which is what you would think it should be. Um, but if you really are serious about getting involved in high-performance hockey, even if it's just at club level, you've got to be looking beyond your standards, beyond your field of excellence to make sure that you're getting the best and trying to get the best for your players. So get watching international hockey. Get involved Get stud- and, and get studying it. Don't just watch. Make notes about it. Talk to people. Talk to your peers. Talk to your mentors. Talk to your players about it. Find someone. Uh, if you want, uh, message me on Twitter, on Instagram, or get involved in the website as well. Message us to talk about international hockey, because that's the way. That's that's one of the best ways to learn uh, what is needed at the top level. So that'll do for this series. Uh, we've now done eight episodes uh, with with a two-parter at the end. Um, we'll come back in three weeks' time with more interviews, uh, maybe a, maybe a, the old pocket podcast. So in three weeks' time, that will be, you're talking about beginning of July, we would have played against India, we would have played uh, our four nations in Holland with China and Japan and Holland. And we'll just be starting to take a break before we come back and play against Canada. So I'm really looking forward to getting back to you, but I'm especially looking forward to be able to get these interviews done in the meantime, to be able to get them out to you. So until next time, take care.